Welcome to the podcast. It's the worst territory in the world. Personalities, history, and other stories. We know you're craving for more knowledge. Let the champions get their glory. It's the worst territory in the world. Welcome, everybody. It is the best time of the week to talk about maybe perhaps the worst territory in the world. I am your host, Gabe, sitting here with Chris Goff. Chris is getting ready to be a jet setter as he heads to New Orleans, his favorite place on earth. And we're going to talk some wrestling before he does that. Chris, how are you doing this week? Oh, man. Countdown has begun. Uh, you know, I bought a kilt to wear uh, down at this uh, limo pub crawl for St. Patrick's Day we're doing. And I didn't want to be a poser, Gabe, because I know a lot of Scottish people out there are very big on their culture. And mm -hmm. I, uh, so I told my wife, like, I don't really want to be a poser with this. So uh, I remember that my in-laws had bought me the DNA test for the uh, Ancestry.com. Like, I mean, this is like 12, 13 years ago. <laughs> right. So like, I do not really care what I am because I'm just an American and I'm a mutt, whatever. Uh, but I went back to look at that and I am actually 38% Scottish. Are you really? Yeah, so it was weird. So I'm like, I'm not a poser at all. So then I started calling up all my Scottish friends and being like, hey, what percentage Scottish are you? Because these are the people that walk around with, like, this is my $1,000 kilt. And like, you know, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I got lineage back to the 1400s. And then, uh, so then I was like, well, I'm 38%. Oh, I'm not that much. I'm like, oh, okay. Well, you're the poser. Kilt. So, anyway, so uh, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, New Orleans is a great town and I like to get there several times a year. Yeah. Uh, so uh, your last name, is it Scottish? Goff? I think McGoff is a oh. Scottish word. And Goff is also a lot English, too. So I'm not a I mean, I've traced it back. Like, we have our, I know what our tartan is. You know, that's the design on the kilt. Do you uh, really? Yeah. It's called McFarlane, is the name of the tartan. Nice. Okay. And, uh, so I looked up some of this stuff because I was interested after I found this out. But it is pretty uh, cool. In, in any event, uh, there is a bar in New Orleans, Kansas City tie in here. Uh, that is called Molly's at the Market, and it's close to the French Market there in the French Quarter. And it is owned, and it has been owned for over 50 years by a family from Kansas City. And uh, their name is uh, the Monahans. So okay. one of the Monahan uh, daughters, she's married, it's not her name anymore, but she comes to the winery often. And uh, I, we talk all the time about it was her father owned it, he passed away. But anyway, Molly's has these always these cool like in New Orleans, there's always a million parades and stuff. So Molly's always has a very cool either Halloween and uh, St. Patrick's Day parade and a pub crawl that you get on sort of in, in limousines and you drive around they drop you off to like five or six places over the course of like six seven hours now the problem gabe is i know you're not a drinker but i like to drink uh hard alcohol when i'm in new orleans and my wife can drink wine like all day and keep that nice even buzz but when i'm in new orleans i'm like i want a hurricane or i want like absinthe or i want something really stupid because you know i don't get to do that because right. i have zero responsibilities there and uh, I don't know if I can keep that up from 9.30 to 4. So we'll see. So absinthe, when I was a drinker, one of my favorite things to drink ever was absinthe. Really? Absolutely. Because you like, you like the black licorice flavor. Well, no, I like the way it made me feel and oh, like hallucinatory it, yeah because it was yeah because it was a different drunk than your regular like hey i'm i'm hitting rum or whatever you know like i remember drinking absence with absinthe with my brother and i was like ooh, 
I was like, daddy like this. Have you ever had it? So have you had it the proper way where they yes. drip? You put it on the spoon with the yep. sugar cube, light it on fire, drip the water on it. Oh man, it is uh, it is quite the. That's the place to do it, New Orleans. My brother and it. Well, my brother and his wife actually used to run a cocktail blog, a very famous when blogging was like the biggest thing ever, sure. and they would get bottles of liquor sent to them by all these independent distributors that wanted them to review. Um, so they they used to go to cocktail conferences. So yeah, every time cool. and they, their favorite place was New Orleans, so or New Orleans. So they would, they, every time we did absinthe, it had to be the right way. You know what I mean? Like, bloop, sure. bloop, you know, it's, yeah, it's quite it, the thing. It is. It is. There, there was a, um, there's whole bars in Northern California where I used to live, where their whole thing was ab- absinthe. It was like a, a thing out there. So, well, you know, that absinthe for years, like, I mean, it was illegal, illegal in America yeah. because it, it made people hallucinate and they thought, you know, they thought it was very dangerous, but it's since, you know, they started putting drinks with herb saint in it, which is sort of a knockoff absinthe. But mm-hmm. absinthe is now flowing quite well. There's the absinthe house down there. And I, I our favorite bar down there is Fritzel's on Bourbon Street. So, um, yeah, they know how to do it there. And that's the, the pageantry that's of awesome. it is part of the experience. Yeah. But I don't yeah. do that every time. I usually just have a really strong hurricane from my favorite bartender down there. And a couple of those and you're good for like several hours. <laughs> yeah. 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 All right. Well, you know what we're good at is we're good at talking about the worst territory in the world. And this week we have a great interview, Chris, that you conducted with Bob Geigel's daughter, which we'll get to in just a minute. But before we get to that, Chris, it is WrestleMania season here Mm -hmm. um, in the professional wrestling world. Me and you are not, uh, I would describe us as not the most... uh, uh, avid watchers of, of WWE or quite frankly, any wrestling program. But today what I wanted to go over with you is the current match card for WrestleMania 39 in Hollywood. And tell me whether, uh, you either have an interest in it, (laughs) maybe a match prediction or, you know, what, you know, what some of your, uh, just quick thoughts on it are. So we'll, are you ready, Chris? We're going to go, let's go, let's go through this monumental card. Okay. So obviously the uh, match that everybody's going to be talking about is Roman Reigns versus Cody Rhodes. What do you think is going to be the outcome of that match, Goff? And do you think it it has the potential to be the best match on the, uh, on the show, given that you don't know any of the other matches? Well, I mean, just the potential of the actual, like, the the storyline build up to it the sort of ascension of Cody when he comes back to WWE the the you know as we've discussed before I don't really care so much about match quality in ring as I do sort of the right. emotion and the story and the build up between it and you know Cody just by himself without even being involved in the Roman Reigns story because I know that came sort of late in the game really but Cody Rhodes's return has been uh, probably better than most people thought it would be. I know he had an injury and that took him out for a long time, but what I mean is the actual reaction and the ascension of him to a top star has been better than I ever thought it would be, especially if you remember Cody Rhodes in his first run at WWE, which was (laughs) a low to mid card guy. He was young. I mean, he was a good looking guy in good shape, but when he went and went to AEW and I think it's sort of shown that most of the, uh, EVPs in the, uh, well, all the EVPs in AEW are basically, uh, I don't know. They look like clowns over there for the most part. And they did their entire run. Like whether it was, you know, roads to the top brandy's overreact, you know, out overacting uh, the young bucks and what they've done and, and Kenny Omega and uh, the video game that will never come out. There's a lot of stuff that uh, has not really 
made them look good over there. So when he came over here, I was like very interested in how Cody was going to be taken in WWE, but um, they needed a Cody Rhodes and it was the perfect timing for him because, you know, they are just devoid of some big time baby faces in right. WWE. Right. And uh, he, based on his lineage, his name and the way that he left and came back, I think it's great. The fact that he's taken on Roman Reigns is even better because Roman Reigns has held the four down in WWE for years. Perfect. And, uh, and I think that, um, I mean, the only logical thing, which me, which, which is, you know, pretty like uh, telegraphing, I think that Cody Rhodes should win. Uh, I don't know why he wouldn't at this point, especially knowing that Reigns is a part-time schedule and all that stuff. Let him have a break for a while because this bloodline thing has been great. But, you know, I think it's about time to wrap that up and go a, a new direction with Cody. Where they're going to go, I'm not really 100% sure, but I think Cody needs to win. So it, let me ask you this. I, and I totally agree with you. I think Cody's going to win. I think it's time for Roman to to drop the belt. He has had one of the most incredible runs. I don't get bored when I do watch. I don't get bored watching Roman Reigns. Love the bloodline storyline. I think he's really come into his own since he's had Paul Heyman and has um, fully become a heel. But let me ask you this. Is Cody going to be cursed with the... Like, oh my God, we want this guy to be the champion. He's the champion man. Because my concern is that Cody is going to, uh, the ascension has been meteoric, right? And then when he gets the belt, is it going to be one of those things where it's like a fart in church where it's just kind of like, yeah, we wanted him to win. And now it's just like, all right, he's like a transitional champion maybe or something. Or do you think he has a potential to really be the top guy for a very long time in WWE. So when you talk about sort of a fart in church, do you mean the night of or just the, the coming months? Yeah, the coming months, like, okay. you know, after he wins. Okay. Uh, I think he has definitely has the potential, and I definitely think he has the, uh, you know, he is really, you know, turned a corner for me as far as, like, he, he is a top guy. Now, you could debate that all uh, you know, is he a top guy? Cause there's nobody else. Maybe you could say that, you know, he's the best of what's left. It's like, it's, it's college basketball. Now that everyone goes to the NBA, it's like, uh, okay, this team's good because, uh, everyone else is not good. Um, you know, Cody to me is sort of like that in a way, but I think everyone in wrestling's that way right now. I mean, it would be sort of interesting. I'm not saying Roman Reigns wouldn't have fit right in, in the uh, attitude era, but would he, you know, I mean, it's always interesting. Would he, would he be able to, to match up with the likes of Stone Cold and, and the rock in their prime right. in that era? Uh, right. I don't know. Like, I mean, in this era, <clears throat> Brock Lesnar, uh, and him were obviously have been carrying the ball for a while now, but I don't really, under, I don't know how Brock would end up being, uh, you know, he, he wasn't necessarily the man during the attitude era cause he was too young. Uh, right. Roman Reigns. I, I'm not sure, you know, it's really hard, but Roman Reigns has definitely picked up the ball though. Him and Brock have done great. And I think Cody can ascend to be a top guy and, uh, end up being, uh, you know, I, here's a problem, Gabe. You just have to have enough guys to throw at him that people care about. And is it, right. you know, are they going to turn, um, are they going to turn other people from the bloodline storyline against him? Are they going to turn, you know, who's going to be his, who's going to face him? Because yes, the ascension to winning the title is going to be huge if he wins right. at WrestleMania, but you know, how it really pays off is going to be like, what's, what's that? What's next? And that's what always is the question in wrestling and who knows, but yeah, yeah, absolutely. So let's lock it in. It's Cody Rhodes going home with the gold. Definitely, definitely. Um, all right. SmackDown women's championship. <laughs> I, why do I laugh every time? Okay. I don't know. I, I take this seriously. Charlotte Flair versus Rhea Ripley. 
Now, to me, I think it should be Rhea Ripley. I mean, like these, if you're making new stars and having them go to new heights, it should be Rhea Ripley. I mean, this this lady has transformed herself big time over since she came into NXT. I was like looking at the old pictures of her with like blonde hair and she looks like a yeah. like a like a just a sweet girl next door. And like what she's turned into now has been quite the transformation. And that's always, you know, back when I was there, it was always like, hey, you need to, you know, change your gear. You need to change your look. You need to stand out. And she has definitely done that. I like that. I will watch clips and I do like the fact I do like her sort of you know, the Dominic angle with her. I, I like yeah. all of that. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, um, you know, I, I guess you could argue it's maybe it's not her time yet, but I think it is. I think it's I think time it to, I think Charlotte can, uh, can move to the side now. And I still think Charlotte's very good, but Rhea Ripley, it's time for some new blood and WrestleMania. And this is to me, I think this is exciting from WWE as a standpoint of you have, uh, you have sort of uh, a lot the of old new guard almost. Yeah. 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 New yeah, stars no, I, can be made. Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree. I think I I truly believe Rhea Ripley is the future of women's professional wrestling. I used to watch her back. In, I know you're going to hate this. I used to watch her back in progress, like when I was a really big progress mark. Progress, yes. Progress, and I I thought she was super talented then. Um, I I, I think it's her time. Charlotte, it can cut. She's one of those stars that can come in and out, in and out, and it really she's always going to be a star. Charlotte Flair sure. is one of the best women's wrestlers of all time. Like when is when is all said and done? Uh, she's she's fantastic. So, um, next match is going to the and I, I'll I got a lot to say. Well, not a lot, but uh, the Raw Women's Championship. Bianca Belair takes on Oscar. Okay, well, you start. What do you think about this? I wish I could care. I think I think Bianca Belair is an amazing athlete. But I don't see I don't see the star power that everybody else does. My brother thinks she's an absolute star. I I I just I I've never liked her matches. Um, again, mega athlete, super great as far as athleticism goes. Asuka, I think um, you know. Again, I, I think her her shine is kind of worn off a little it bit. Has. It has. I, I I I just don't care about this match. I just don't. You know, Bianca has the look. She has the uh, you know the the ethnicity that they want to have for, you know, like somebody to take over that role of the non-Caucasian superstar, the women's division, because I think she, you know, she has a lot of people to look up to her based on how she looks, you know? And so I think it's like something that uh, the WWE wants to uh, capitalize on because I, yeah, she's, I mean, did you, I I watch her on uh, Instagram. She like gets in, she was doing a bodybuilding competition, yeah. you know, she's yeah. like super ripped in great shape. Great. Shape. Um, you know, I, I do think like she doesn't necessarily have like the, uh, ne- the intangible of sort of like the facials and the, right. uh, the, the sort of the, the emotion in the matches that she totally. should at this point. I don't really know if uh, that's something that she's going to get. That's sort of a hard thing to acquire over time. Uh, I mean, some people do, don't get me wrong, but I just, um that's the only thing i feel like she lacks i think she's uh very good in the ring i just think she doesn't really uh like probably the reason why you don't care is that she doesn't make you care because i don't really think she does a you know the best job at uh showing emotion right yeah and 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 there i mean again because i don't watch maybe i'm not like up to date on their feud but i feel like this is just like hey let's put two really good workers in the ring sure. and see what happens because again, there's going to be a language barrier. So it's like, how do you build a quote unquote storyline off of that? But I, I, again, 
I, I'm going to take full responsibility and say it's probably because I don't watch the product and the reason why I don't care. So um, speaking of matches, I don't care about uh, the next match. Brock Lesnar taking on Omos. Get him, Chris. Yeah, yeah well, look, uh, Omos is not exactly uh, – he, he's huge. I'm always a fan of the huge freaks. I am. But, uh, you know, this is a this is a weak build into this angle. I mean, Brock can go. But the thing about this that I'll give them credit on is Brock can wrestle anything. And it's entertaining from the Brock's yeah. Lesnar standpoint. So as WrestleMania season, uh, as much as it is about making new stars and having these awesome moments of someone winning the first title or, or an emotional thing like that. Uh, WrestleMania is also about moments and like mm-hmm. just some like uh, you know, sizzle, you know, and then, and this is a sizzle match. Uh, Brock can uh, hopefully almost can take some of the things that Brock's going to throw his way because Brock can uh, probably throw him around more than anybody else that ever has touched almost in his life. So uh, I'm looking forward to the collision of the two. But like I said, I, I watched this for Brock and uh, yeah. almost is just there. Uh, maybe we can have a couple of fun moments with him uh, beating up a very large man. But here's the thing. Do you think they have enough belief in almost because so let's let's make a prediction on this match and uh, real quick, Bianca or Oscar? I think, uh, gosh, man, I, I think you ha- I would like Bianca to win. OK, excellent. Me, too. All right. But do you think now that Lesnar, because of the fact that he's one of I mean, he's a freak do you think he actually gets almost or does almost actually do? Are they going to like strap the rocket on him and have him get a surprise? I would say a surprise victory over Brock Lesnar. I hope to God they have Brock win. I mean, almost is not <laughs> almost should not be beating Brock Lesnar at WrestleMania. No. Even if you're trying to make almost a star, this is not the time or place or the build or anything to do that. So hopefully almost looks okay in the match and Brock makes him look okay. But uh, good Lord. I mean, it just like, Brock Lesnar beat Undertaker. He should not be losing to Omos. And I understand I, it's years later, but I mean, it doesn't still, matter. Brock Lesnar is a freak. So it doesn't, still. he should not lose. Yeah, I totally agree. I totally agree. All right. Next match that I am actually looking forward to, surprisingly, is uh, Seth Rollins versus Logan Paul. Dude, Logan Paul has come in and like lit the world on fire just in a very limited time. Uh, I got to be honest, I hate the Paul brothers from a standpoint of yeah. like they're so annoying, but that's yeah. what makes it. That's what makes them entertaining too. Yes, uh, they're these guys that have multiple Lamborghinis and mansions, and they make stupid videos online. Yep. So of course, for that reason, I can't stand them. But uh, his athletic prowess from uh, both the Paul boys have been amazing uh whether it's fixed in boxing or not but in wrestling Logan Paul has stepped right in and done a great job so uh I don't know what's going to happen in that match you had to make me predict um I feel like uh you could beat Seth Rollins and Logan uh, Seth would be just fine but um I don't know. I, I think Logan should get the win just to help him out. I don't know the contractual obligations of Logan. I know he signed a multi, um, you know, year deal, I believe, but I don't know how many dates that is or how this can help them. But I do think that uh, you have to sort of put Logan Paul over in this. And I don't think it'll hurt Seth. I really don't. You know what? I'm going <laughs> to, I'm going to agree with you and I'm going to add on to that. I, the Paul brothers, oh my God, when they were first coming on the scene, so annoying. I was like, I, I I can't stand these guys. Oh yeah. But here's what I can't stand even more is that Logan Paul is as good. He he's way he's way better than he has every right to be. Sure. I mean, he is a freak athlete, both in boxing and in professional wrestling. And he is like a natural pro wrestler. Yeah. And it is if he really concentrated and focused his attention on professional wrestling, in my opinion, 
he has the potential to be one of the biggest stars in wrestling. Now, obviously, you're you're right. Uh, he doesn't need to because he has plenty of money and doesn't have yes. to. So, if yes. I to be fair to Logan Paul, I would never have a full time schedule in wrestling no. because he makes too much money. And yeah. why do that to yourself? But if you get super cool moments like to be in a WrestleMania match yeah. or you know other things overseas, he's been you know headlining overseas matches. I just think uh, he should do that. You know, most of these guys that are huge YouTube stars, most of them, there's two reasons you're a huge YouTube or social media star. You're either the first at doing it, which mm -hmm. they were pretty early on, yep. or you're just really, you're a great promoter of yourself and an awesome like marketer. And I, they're both. So um, I give them credit. And I think, uh, you know, Logan Paul has been unbelievable in the ring, better than most wrestlers like years into their career, if ever. And um, he could do that. But, you know, when people talk about that, uh, you know, him going full time, like, why would you do it? He makes he makes millions not beating up his body. Why would you do yeah. that? So, yeah. And perfect dancing partner in Seth Rollins. But I will say, I do believe I'm going to vary with this on you. I think Seth should win. Okay. And I think so. I'm going to I'm going to predict that Seth Rollins goes over in this match. Okay, We'll see. All right, next match, uh, Austin Theory versus John Cena. May I start? Sure. <laughs> I think Austin Theory is great. He's got a great body. He's a great worker. But I never – I again, another one of those guys, he's missing that intangible quality that makes me go, this guy is going to be the next big thing. And I know everybody thinks he's going to be, and I do think he's going to beat John Cena, but I do not see the star trajectory that everybody else sees. End of story. Yeah, um, you're, you're, you know, I, I will agree with you somewhat. He is not, you know, he's had a lot of start stops, to be fair. I think, you know, whatever you want to believe in the backstage politics stuff, like I guess he was one of Vince's projects, but then Vince left and uh, things changed multiple times for him over the last few years. But, you know, when Ace was uh, a trainer in NXT and WWE in general at the Performance Center, he said, you know, he talked about how, you know, looked at Austin Theory and said he had sort of had the factor of, you know, being I think it was because of his look, his age, like right. he's still very young. Uh, I think the pro I think Austin Theory will if he stays in wrestling injury free, I think he'll be a huge star. He's he's still a, he's still, he's a star now. But I think that he is so young, man, that, you know, that the the problem with the lack of territories and the problem with the, you know, churning these guys out when they're 21 years old and then expecting them to act like a, a grown adult man when they're 23, 24 is not super fair because uh, I think Austin Theory will learn along the way, as everyone did, even John Cena back in the day when he first started. And he had years under his belt as a uh, as a, you know, an independent worker on the California stage. But uh, I just think that you give Austin a few more years. Um, so few people can step right into a ring like the rock and like become like a yeah. stud when you're like 23. Uh, I, but I do think he has to be John Cena at this point. Yeah. Uh, I think it's cool that John Cena came back for mania. I know a lot of people wanted the rock to come back and maybe he'll make an appearance of some sort, but he's not going to be in a match course. Uh, but the, Cena is the next level of a star that has come and gone and was a huge star, arguably the biggest star ever in WWE as far as money making. And uh, I think it's great that he still takes time to do this. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I've got nothing bad to say about John Cena. Um, I was like many of the other Marks. I am a Mark, but I was like many of them back in the day. It was like, John Cena has five moves. Yeah. And it's yeah. like, it doesn't matter. He drew money. He was a, he is a career baby face. He's, he has been like, I would say one of the most, unselfish quote-unquote workers i've seen that has the top of the card like that 
Um, he, he, and he loves the business. He really, truly loves the business. So super confident, doesn't yep. care what he really does. I mean, he wanted to turn heel, uh, obviously money wise, it was a dumb move for him or the company, but he wanted to change things up. Uh, I think he wanted to have some fun doing that, but, uh, they never quite, they never did that. So, yeah. uh, but he, he ended up being the longest running baby face champion, you know, yep. by, by a mile. By and a mile. So, uh, anyway, he's, he's great. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. All right, next match, uh, Becky Lynch, Lita, and Trish Stratus taking on Damage Control. Well, uh, da- I, Damage Control to me is, I, I don't have a problem with them, really. I, I, they're young and, you know, sort of, they're green. But, uh, again, this is super veterans, two of the three, mm-hmm. uh, taking on uh, some some girls that are still, you know, I'm not, they're green in the world of you're, you're facing Lita and Trish. You're green, okay? Yeah. But, yeah. Uh, uh, I love bringing back people from that era. Lita and Me Trish too. are always going to be big stars to everyone that grew up uh, in through the Attitude Era, kid yep. or an adult. And uh, I don't know. I you know what this is a this is a featured match for six girls, and I think it'll be great to uh, see. I did. You know, it's this is an attraction match at a WrestleMania card, uh, much like we were talking about earlier with Brock and Omos, and I'm I'm looking forward to it. It's something that I don't have a lot of expectation in, but that's okay because you'll just just have be fun and have fun watching it. You know. I totally agree. I, I'm actually looking forward to this match. I think the, the potential for Lita and Trish Stratus to quote unquote still be able to go. I think it's fully there. They keep themselves in great shape. Trish looks more. I, I don't know how, but Trish looks better now, in my opinion, than she did when she was working in, in the She just yeah. she's aged gracefully. And I don't think, you know, there's been a lot of snip snips and all that kind of stuff. But who knows? But she, I think she looks great. And um, I think there's. A, a real potential for this match to be better than expectations would lead it. Yeah, I agree. I agree with everything you said. I think Trish still looks great. Uh, she looks like a, a grown woman now. Right. You know, like when she started, she looked like she looked like a, a little like young Barbie doll back in right. the day, sort of. Right. And now she's grown into like a uh, just a woman. And, uh, you know, she I her and Lita and I just to see them in a ring ever and they can still uh, go is fine. This is what WrestleMania to me is all about. You bring back stars from previous eras, get them involved. They don't have to go over necessarily. They don't have to look great, but give it to the fans that used to love it. They can still go. I love nostalgia. WrestleMania is all about that. So I'm, I'm in. Nice. Me too. All right. Next match edge versus Finn Balor. Just recently, I think it was recently announced in hell in the cell. I, uh, hell in the cell has been bastardized through the years. I, you know, like, um, sorry, I, I've said this to you before, but the, the greatest uh, hell in the cell is, uh, undertaker, Shawn Michaels, and it, everything's gone downhill since then. Uh, Mick Foley had the biggest pop moment or the biggest unbelievable shocking moment of all time, multiple shocking moments in that match course. But, uh, I, when the Hell in the Cell was Undertaker Sean and the emergence of Kane, that was a perfect match, in my opinion, pretty much. Uh, ever since then, you have to live up to not only that, but also the shock and awe of Mick Foley. So mm-hmm. everything since then, whether it's Triple H, Mick Foley, all the all the ones that have happened through the years, none of them. I mean, even the one where Rikishi fell off into the into the mm-hmm. trunk bed, you know, uh-huh. like uh-huh. these. Uh, none of them quite uh, work up to that, and you know, I don't know. That's I, as much as I like Edge, because he's another guy that's a throwback, I uh, this is not really a match that I'm super looking forward to. It's got a big gimmick attached to it, though, so that's that'll be somewhat exciting. Here's the thing, though. 
Here's the thing. You cannot have, in my opinion, you cannot have a hell in the cell. You cannot have an I quit match. You cannot have any of these matches and not have blood. I'm sorry. You can't. And like, especially with an ominous structure, like hell in the cell, all this other kind of stuff. Yeah. Dude, I know you don't have to be John Moxley where you sneeze and blade yourself. I get it. I <laughs> every, get it. Every show. Yeah. Every show. And it means nothing when you do, but come on guys. Like I get it. You're rating all that kind of stuff. But I mean, matches like this demand blood uh, to me. And I've seen edge and Finn Balor. We've run this course before edge can still go. We all know that Balor. I, I feel like Balor is a shadow uh, he's one of those great mid card guys, but I don't care about any feud he engages in because it's just another feud for me. Were because you a huge Finn Balor fan? Like when he first started on that, remember it was Prince yeah. Devitt. Were you, you yeah. a huge fan of that? Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. I remember a lot of people talking him up back then and I didn't know who he was cause I didn't watch J Japanese wrestling, but yeah. they, uh, he was uh, – I know he's a huge star. Yep. Uh, to me, he is what you, I guess, think of, of Austin Theory. Like He's just sort of a guy yeah. that was super hyped, and he's in tremendous shape, looks tremendous. great, yep. can wrestle well, just yep. has never done it for me emotionally. Yep. Me neither. All right. I, and, he, and honestly, he was never that great emotionally, even in Japan, because Japanese wrestling is totally different. All right. Yeah, Scotty uh, Norton's over there, so I understand, yes. Who is? Scott Norton was over there. All the people that are over in oh. Japan are all the guys in in the United States that didn't ever have any kind of emotional yep. like connection, but yep. they could go over there and look like just ass kickers over there. Yeah. Well, you know, on from everyone's account, Scott Norton, nicest guy ever. No, and he, he's a he's a. I love watching his shoot interviews. I don't. I'm saying as a fan watching yeah. Scott Norton. I he was like, uh, man. He wasn't. Watch, he wasn't moving you. <laughs> I used to watch the the. His funniest thing for me was when I used to watch AWA classics on ESPN, um, him and John Nord tag oh, teamed yeah, as like the, the lumberjacks for like yeah. for like two weeks. I mean, it didn't last that long. <laughs> they called them Flapjack Norton because he ate the most flapjacks when they were cutting down the logs. And I dude, it was that was hilarious. <laughs> but Scott Norton WCW was sort of like, Man, this guy could probably whip the crap out of anybody here, but uh, you know, he was like a low to mid card. He was sort of like Hercules Hernandez to me. You know, he's like, he looked huge. It looked like he'd kill you, but really didn't really have much of a connection to the fans. Yeah. And then he goes yeah. to Japan. He's a huge star. So yeah, go figure. John Nord, the, uh, what did they call him in WWE? The Berserker. The Berserker. Yeah. Huss. Huss. He like doing the whole. Bruiser uh, Brody. Bruiser Brody. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. All right. Next match. One I'm actually maybe possibly looking forward to the most is. Uh, Gunther versus either Sheamus or Drew McIntyre for the Intercontinental Championship. Gunther and Sheamus had a hell. I I think I think Gunther's a star. I do. I mean, I liked him. I tried to get him booked. It, I actually had a conversation with him when I was running Journey Pro when he was coming over here to the states because when he was Walter, I wanted him in here bad bad really nice i know guy. you were a huge fan uh huge fan. i tried to book him i think we were talking about booking him at nwl we were and we uh were. he the problem was he had like very limited dates and he couldn't really come when we needed him to and i forget right. the cost was prohibitive just based on travel alone at that point but anyway yes he uh i know you love walter gunther uh he has gotten in really good shape yeah. and um, he is definitely yeah. he's ascending in WWE as well. So I look forward to the next like 10 years, hopefully of uh, Gunther in the uh, WWF. -E. 
I really think that they should have died. I mean, the early rumor was it was Brock Lesnar versus him because they did the little tease at Wrestle or at uh, Royal uh-huh. Rumble. I thought that would have been the money match. That's a real match. That's something Lesnar could really say, sunk his teeth into. But the last time Sheamus and Gunther went at it was amazing. They beat the living piss out of each other, and they have the potential to do that now. I think Gunther is going to retain the Intercontinental Championship. But Sheamus, man, I've come to like Sheamus. Sheamus has just been there way too long, dude. Like yeah. he, he, yeah. The, he does switch his stuff up. He's he's a very solid guy to have on the card, and you yep. need those. Like the yep. problem is, like no people don't understand, like because they they will they will say stuff on uh, you know, about Sheamus or the Dolph Ziggler's. You need people like, like that because there's no jobbers anymore. They're basically star jobbers. You know, like they're right. they're huge stars. They will get involved with ascending people. You yep. know, I, I remember this years ago. They started trying to do this in the you know 90s 2000s uh you know i remember during De- metro pro they were signing the likes of trevor murdoch mm-hmm. uh, dustin rhodes they were signing these guys to come back to be sort of what the uh, dolph ziggler and seamus are now which are featured people but uh, you know helping them uh get over the younger guys and uh shame i think that is a good match if it was brock and gunther the problem i have with brock dude is that I just, much like Kurt Angle, it's very, you know, when Kurt Angle did the Baron Corbin thing, like, it's very hard for me to ever see anyone beating Brock Lesnar or really Kurt Angle because I know that those guys are on a different level than anybody else ever in the history of yeah. the business in the last 50 years. So it's sort of like I, I would not wanted, I would not have wanted Gunther to, to take on Brock right now because Brock should not lose to Gunther either at this point, really, to be honest. Even though I know you're pushing him, but I'm saying just the legacy alone of Brock to me at this point should not even be questioned with, with Gunther because even though Gunther's big, he is, he is not Brock Lesnar. He's just not, never will be. So that's a really good, that that's actually a really good point. I'm going to agree with you on that. It's not, I guess, as you said, it's not the time for Gunther to beat Lesnar yet. I think when, when maybe like, you know, Baron Corbin's a Kansas city kid and I, and I like him. Uh, but it was very odd to have him and, and Kurt have that match. So mm-hmm. I, maybe if Brock one day decides, you know, in 10, 15 years when he's like, I'm done making money at, at wrestling, maybe at that point you can put over somebody at the, you know, at that level. But I, Brock is just such a unique, special person in the history of the business or it's sports in general that it's just really hard for me to see anybody beating him, really. Such. I was watching some UFC clips of him the other day, and I was like, that guy's a freak. I don't understand. He is. And he almost made the Vikings with no football experience. With no football I mean, experience, dude. This, like, just, this guy yeah. can walk into any sporting thing and just take over. So it's, he's a freak, dude. It's, it's You can't beat him. But anyway, back to your point. Uh, Gunther should, should win easily. Yeah. All right. Uh, the last match that's been confirmed. We have a bunch of matches that we won't go over right now because they're not confirmed yet. Um, would be Dominic versus Rey Mysterio. Rey Mysterio just announced into the WWE class of 2023 Hall of Fame. Um, I like Dominic Mysterio's uh, character stuff, but match wise, he's just not there for me. Um, I think if it were a time for him to have a coming out party match wise, I think this match is that time, but I, I just don't see it. I just don't see it there yet. Um, but his character stuff is funny. He plays a good chicken shit heel. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'll see how this one goes. I agree with you. Um, he's never going to be his dad, which is going to be really tough to ever yes. like get anywhere near that. And of course, there's different size anyway, both of them. But, yep. uh, you know, his dad was so special because of his size and, yep. and what he could do. Uh, but, you know, uh, 
this is another cool attraction match. This is yeah. a throwback WrestleMania style, a brother, you know, son versus father. Uh, I think it's a, uh, I, I think I'm looking forward to the actual story of it. Like you said, Dominic has not really been super impressive in the ring, but you know that it is a huge priority, especially since he's going into the hall of fame the same weekend as well, that Ray has been working his ass off to make Dominic in this match. Yep. Perfect. You know, they have yep. been going over this. Yep. Because, uh, like you said, he wants to pass the baton to his child. He wants yep. to put him in the spotlight, make him look like a huge star. So, I think they will be going through this so well that uh, maybe it might surprise some people how well yeah. it goes off because of that. But because there is so much love and so much, you know, wanting to pass the baton and that. So, I don't know. I but this is a throwback match, and I and I enjoy the emotional connection because man, they have had an emotional connection with Ray and Dominic for since I was working there when he was a child, getting yep. kidnapped by by uh, Eddie. So, yeah. uh, you know, yeah, uh, absolutely. This is a, it's fun. If you're a longtime fan, it's sort of sort of fun to see people grow up like that. I mean, and I, I Ace made a post about uh, Ray the other day and I could I could not agree more. When I first saw Ray Mysterio on, in AAA, uh, I mean, obviously in mid early 90s and I'm, my mind is shattered. Sure. Just shattered i was like this guy is insane and then he came up to ecw and i was a huge ecw fan during that period and he's and they started mixing you know him uh psychosis and la parka and conan they were all doing the the hardcore lucha stuff in ecw and i was like oh my god what i used to i had that match on vhs uh him versus psychosis in a mexican death match yeah and i would watch that match i i, I can't i can't even tell you i probably wore the dang tape out but I, it just blew my mind. So well, so well deserved. The guy literally changed professional wrestling for small people. And 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 then they were able to uh, put the mask back on him, which I don't know if has ever been done necessarily. Where, right. Where it and making a, a thing. Lose- loses a mask and then is able to put it back on after everyone saw him without the mask and then is able to put another 20 years into mm-hmm. have 20 plus years and having the mask back on uh you know what's funny gabe is i've told you this before that uh one reason that they put the mask back on him is because always the mask is one of the biggest sellers of all merchandise yeah. of anything they sell i remember back in the day early 2000s the top the top merchandise sales consistently were uh ray mysterio kane and the hurricanes masks and you know yeah. that's that's a, it's a good strategic marketing thing yeah. as well but i'm glad that uh i'm glad that he's getting in because like you said he's been a game changer in wrestling and to this day, Eric Bischoff denies that he like had some like weird thing where he needed to unmask all the Mexican wrestlers. And stuff. Bischoff's revisionist history is very interesting. Yeah, yeah, I I like Bischoff. I, I enjoy his tales. I find him to be a very fascinating person. His Me whole too. story of wrestling. Uh, but yeah, you know, I mean, a lot of people change stories from what you think you know. But like even stuff that he said and other people, they sort of there's it's on video where things have changed. So you know, I, yeah. <laughs> I don't yeah. know. It's weird. Yeah. Yeah. Well, something that hasn't changed is your look at these segues today. These stellar interviews that you keep conducting today, Chris, tell us about the interview you have in store for all the people at home. So after we had Rob Schamberger, the WWE artist from Kansas City that uh, has been a friend of mine for over a decade now, he after our interview, he's like, hey, and he hooked me up with uh, two numbers of people that he thought would be good to talk to on here. The first one, uh, one was uh, J.J. Dillon. Who, uh, if we're going to do that, Gabe, I need Oof. you to. You, your schedule needs to align with me. I do. Uh, I will but, make my schedule align with. But JJ Dillon, who was part of the office in Kansas City in 1981, and I really did 
know that, but I guess uh, according to his daughter, Pam, he's like a huge fan of Kansas city and has, you know, has a lot of great memories from that time. Oh, wow. But uh, so you sort of go through his daughter to, you know, sort of set these things up. Okay. But the, the other interview that we are going to throw to in a minute here is the other person that Rob hooked me up with, with uh, a lady named Shots Duncan. And her nickname is Shots, but everybody just, her nickname is Shots. I believe her first name she says is Charlotta, but she goes by the nickname Shots. And she is the daughter, one of three daughters of longtime Kansas City promoter wrestler, Bob Geigel. And uh, of course, I definitely wanted to talk to her because getting this perspective of not only just thoughts on uh, growing up, in Kansas City and being there when her dad was basically running the entire territory with Harley Race and Pat O'Connor and everything she saw and witnessed, but also just what it was like growing up with Bob Geigel's dad. Uh, she talks about uh, a lot of things. She talks about her house because I, I was telling her the story of like going into her house, uh, mm. like her, her childhood home that her parents, I go, your parents lived there a long time, didn't she? She's like, yes. Like it was, it was like basically since they moved to Kansas city in the sixties, wow. you know? So, um, they lived there till both, you know, her mom passed away in 2018 Vera. So, uh, they both lived there till their, their final days. So, um, I said, when I get to go into his house, you know, I got to see his wall of fame of all these autographed pictures and everything. And like, he was so proud of it. And, you know, she talks about how difficult it was to have her parents pass away and have to do something with all those things that they had because he had, it's not like just a normal person that has a lot of knickknacks. I mean, this, he had a lot of like cool, interesting historical right. wrestling stuff. <laughs> right. Uh, right. But uh, she, she does uh, talk about a lot of fun stories. She was a big fan of Casey on the mat. And uh, she, you know, we, we talked about a lot of people that were on that documentary as well, but man, uh, just to hear, you could tell the love of her father. And I'm sure even though oh. it's been almost 10 years since Bob Geigo passed away, she, you know, much like anybody, she still gets a little emotional. I think about, uh, you know, talking about her dad, who was such a lovable force in her life, but shots, Duncan, I appreciate her being on. And she was, she was great. Man, I, I, I seriously, I cannot wait to listen to this interview because I love hearing the perspective of people that were on the peripheral, not like in-ring performers necessarily, but, you know, like someone like we had, uh, you know, Dan Geyer on who was like sure. not a performer, but boy, he is as close as you can get. You Those know, people have the best stories. It, absolutely. Absolutely. All right. So let's get to that interview with Shots Duncan. And that is uh, Bob Geigel's daughter right now. And we'll see you on the other side. Territory. Well, I am joined now by the daughter of a Kansas City wrestling icon, a sports icon in Kansas City as well. Her name is Shots Duncan, and she is the daughter of Bob Geigel, who we all know here in Kansas City. Thanks for joining us, Shots. Thank you very much, Chris. Um, I was very happy to be introduced to you by our friend, mutual friend, Rob Schamberger. Mm -hmm. um, what was funny is uh, I had Rob on here a few weeks back, and we told he told the story of how we first met because... Uh, first time I really met your dad in a professional capacity was when I was uh, doing this documentary called Casey on the Mat, talking about Kansas City wrestling history. And at the uh, sort of premiere of that, which was at Memorial Hall, Rob Schamberger walks up with his, with his girlfriend at the time and has this comic book he's illustrating that had like, you know, pictures of your father from eight by tens I knew of. And, you know, he was illustrating it. And did you, had, is that how you met Rob through that, that comic book? I met Rob in Las Vegas. Um, when he was doing pictures for the Cauliflower Alley Club okay. um, reunion that they have every year. And um, I knew that he had married my good friend from college's daughter, Katie. Yeah. And he, he's a great guy, great guy. 
So did he did he ever show you the the artwork he did of your father? Well, yes, I saw that one when he came up. Well, someone came to my mom and dad's home and um, gave them an award. Gave him an award. Mm-hmm. Gosh, I have that here at my house. I have that award here at my house since he's passed away, um, and it had the picture that Rob had done of that. Oh, that's cool. That's cool. Yeah. Um, so when he when he gave me your information, and I I thought I met maybe you have two other sisters, and does I do. that that's your only siblings, three daughters that Bob had. Yep, okay. three daughters. Bob and Vera. I met your mother as well. Yes. Uh, um, I, so before I get into meeting them for the first time, I, I did want to ask, like, what is what is uh, with the name Shots? How did you get that name? Because it's a great name. Now, I'm going to New Orleans this week, and it reminds me of uh, fun times in New Orleans. But how did you get the name Shots? <laughs> well, my real name is Charlotta. Okay. And Dad came up with a name, and I always ask Mom and Dad, where did this name come from? And Mom said, your father came up with it. I don't know where it was. And he always called me Shots or Shoots, <laughs> and I don't know why, yeah. um, but that's what that's what it's from. And I, it's spelled C-H-O-T-T-S, but that's because nobody ever really told me how to spell it that I know of, <laughs> so I just started writing C-H-O-T-T-S. <laughs> So some, I mean, I, I have a, my last name is Goff, so no one ever says that, right? So I'm sure sometimes you get shots or something, you know, I'm sure that, I'm sure that happens. Yep. I get a lot of things. Oh, that's funny. So what was it? I mean, obviously my biggest question when, when meeting you is what was it like growing up Geigel in Kansas city? I mean, how was it when you, what were your first memories of your, your father and his business? Well, we moved to Kansas city when I was 10. And from Amarillo, Texas, I was born in Amarillo, and he worked down there in Amarillo, Um, started out at Cal Farley's Boys Ranch. And then um, when he got into the business in Kansas City, we moved up there with him. Um, It was it was a great life. There's there's a lot of good stories, a lot of good stories I probably can't or shouldn't tell. But an example is we were walking downtown with dad one one day, my sister and I, sisters, and I, I think it was just one sister at the time, and a, a Kansas City bus stopped in the middle of the street in traffic. The bus driver opened the door and yelled out, Bob Geigel, I know you. So <laughs> he stopped traffic when he was downtown. <laughs> well, did you were you a wrestling fan at all, or did you sort of show, you know, because sometimes when kids grow up in this life, they either really take to it or sort of like, oh, that's my dad's job and I don't really love it or anything. What, what was your take on pro wrestling? I loved it because, um, you know, all the kids go, oh, your dad's Bob Geigel. Sure. So, you know, he'd come to school, he'd come to the, you know, different events that we had at school, and it was always, oh, Bob Geigel's here, and it, it was cool. I mean, it was really neat. Did you go to the matches at Memorial Hall a lot? Were you there weekly? How, what was your schedule with that? I didn't I didn't go week. When I was younger, I didn't go. Um, when I got in, well, high school and, and after high school, when I was – still in Kansas City. And then when I was in college, I'd come back in the summers and um, I would go to the Memorial Hall. And we always sat in the same spot and up in the balcony. And, and when they say, I, I watched Casey on the mat the other day again. And when when they say that the the first deck is like front row, it was, it was. right there. That is that is You're such right a cool there. building. It really is. I like that building, um, I know it wasn't necessarily. It was made for ring sports. I mean, it was it, the way it's shaped, oh, yeah. the size of it. Um, I can, mm-hmm. you know, I, I don't know when. When was the last time you were actually in at Memorial Hall? 
Um, I went for a country western concert after, I think was probably the last time I was there, and it was probably 25 or 30 years ago. Yeah, yeah. The, the, uh, I, when I ran a little independent promotion here, we had our very first show uh, there, just out of you uh, know the coolness of doing it. But the problem uh, yeah. with that part of town is this, there's zero parking. <laughs> it's like you're parking <laughs> blocks away on streets. and uh, On the street, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and yep. so, so that was sort of a deterrent for some people to go there uh, just yep. for that reason. But uh, it's such a cool building. I wish I could transplant it somewhere else. That's for sure. It's beautiful. I was there for the infamous Bill Wilson. Oh, you know, that, yeah. Give me your perspective on that story. Because when your dad told me that story, I was like, this is an unbelievable story. And and after meeting your dad and just his way of telling it was so nonchalantly, because that's how he was with everything to me uh, when I knew him anyway, it was such a great story. It's so true. And, and Bill Wilson drove Murdy and Gertie Hyde around to the different towns and when he died, he wanted to have his ashes spread at Memorial Hall on the floor. And Dad said, well, and Dad ended up with Bill Wilson. They brought him to him and said, here, he, this is what he wants. And Mike Springer, who was the um, manager of the Memorial Hall at the time, said, we can't do that. He'll just get swept up and he'll be, you know, people have ashes floating on them and you, you just can't do that. So Dad left Mike Springer, uh, Bill Wilson with Mike Springer at Memorial Hall. Well, pretty soon dad gets my, uh, Bill Wilson back in, I think it was UPS or the mail or something. I don't know. So mom said he can't stay here any longer. We, he's got to go. Yeah. You need to do something good for this man because, you know, it's his ashes. So we, my sisters and I went over to Memorial Hall with dad one day and since they wouldn't let us spread him inside, we we took him and we threw him out in the front where the grass is in there. And it it was it was nice. We said a little prayer for Bill Wilson. And when when we went back after that, not long after that, you could see this green spot like it had been fertilized right right where we had spread Bill Wilson. Oh wow. So he was there and that was where Bill Wilson wanted to be. Oh, man. And it was better than being swept up. Oh, definitely. But you don't want to be on the wood floor. Yeah, that makes no. sense. The fertilizer no. is way better. Um, you you mentioned Murdy and Gertie Height, and every time you know, of course, on the uh, on the on the show, I had to mention them because Harley, your dad, everyone. I mean, that's back when everyone was like a family in the first three four rows, and everybody knew everybody. Maybe more than that, right. but definitely right. the first few rows. Um, so what what were your what was your take on them? Because this was a time when today's wrestling fan wouldn't necessarily understand, but they they these ladies thought it was completely real because people weren't sort of you know smart to the business mm-hmm. at that point, and uh, they were two little old ladies that had a habit of sticking guys with hat pins. (laughs) Well, you know, I had not heard of the hat pin thing until I heard Harley Race say it. But I know they were always there, and they would bang their hands on on the corner of the mat, and they would point at things and scream, and who knows what all. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, was said or what was done at that, but they were great. Did your they were dad? Great fans. Did your dad have a relationship with them at all? Well, I not that I know of. I just know that he always, not that I know of. Okay, I I wasn't in, around for that kind of for that because I didn't go to the small towns that they all went to. <laughs> I was up at St. Joe and 
on Saturday nights at KFEQ, and um, I think they were there then. There was you'd see the same fans most of the time you would go, especially Did- around the right around the ring. Yeah, definitely. I, th- I mean, that they talk and they talk about that on the show, but just what a family atmosphere it was, yes. and, and that's sort of how some independents are now. I ran a company for six years, and after a while, you knew the front row was always sold out first, and it was always the same people, and it was like a yep. reunion every time you saw them. It was. It was. You're right. Um, so that that's a you talk about St. Joe. Did you ever meet Gust Karras? Oh yes, we. I knew Gust, and um, I knew his family. Polly, I think, was his daughter, and um, he was a very nice man. He was very proper, very proper, um, but it, we had a good relationship with their family. I know after Gus passed away, we didn't, we didn't um, see them often, but um, I saw Gus quite often. Yeah, he has a he has a very good reputation of not only being a, a sharp-dressed guy, but just a, I mean, beloved in that area. Yes, with the hat and the cane. He always had his hat on. Yeah, it was uh, when people yep. that I know that have met him, they, they say nothing but great things about Gus Karras, including yep. Harley Race, which, of course, I want to get your opinion on with him because he was a, a business partner, a, an in-ring partner with your dad. Um, you know, he loved Gus, Gus Karras. He helped him save his leg. Uh, but, oh, yes. But uh, what... You know, Harley Race and your dad um, are definitely the two biggest names, I I think I'm safe to say, in Kansas City wrestling history. Um, After that, of course, you had Bulldog Bob Brown and and the likes, and we can talk about some of those guys. But what what were your impressions with Harley, and how close was he with your father? Um, They were were close friends. Um, You know, the business was all involved in it, too, but they were close friends. Um, It's almost all those guys were were kind of the same. I mean, they were a lot from small towns and, and this was what they were interested in was the business and they were interested in it and they were friends and they, and they, it was a handshake. Um, when, when they did business together, um, I remember Harley telling me one day, he goes, just stay in school. You've got to stay in school and you've got to go to college and you've got to finish all that and get that education behind you. And I'm going, well, why is Harley telling me this? But, you know, as I was a young kid, I didn't think, yeah, sure. Right. I'll, I'll go to school. Sure. And, and it was the right thing to do. I mean, they were smart people. They, they had a lot of good street smarts and they were smart people. Yeah, I, I told you before get, coming on here that this this podcast is called The Worst Territory in the World because, uh-huh. um, I mean, we all love it, but uh, Ric Flair, Jim Cornette, some, some of the bigger name guys that weren't from this area, and they looked at Kansas City as more of a secondary uh, sort of territory. Um, I guess when Ric Flair says things about your dad, and Ric Flair has sort of shown what, how he has been uh, over the last uh, 20 years of his career, sort of uh, burning all kinds of bridges. But one thing he would say about your father was that, you know, he always wore shower shoes, and he was uh, he was basically a si- too simple of a man. That's basically what I took it from Ric Flair's criticism of your dad. And after meeting your dad on multiple occasions, he seemed to be like just a completely down-to-earth, normal guy that was involved in this wacky world. This sort of changed over the decades while he was in it, um, as far as more flamboyant and stuff like that. But, what I mean, 
it, what, what is your perception of someone else's thoughts about your dad like that? Well, it, you know, it kind of hurts a little bit and it's, I don't To me, he was a regular guy. Um, a, he was, it's hard to explain. You know, it, it hurts when somebody says something like that, but at the same time, I, I'm, I'm fine with it. He was a regular kind of guy. He was from a small town. He had good values. Um, he, he taught me a lot. You know, I, it, it was a great, it was a great life with my dad. Well, I, I certainly, if I had to choose one of the two guys to hang out with as a normal person, it would definitely be Bob Geigel. So is that, there's that, I don't take, I, he means it as a negative thing, criticism, but I feel yeah. like after meeting your dad, he just seemed like a, a completely normal Midwest guy. So, yeah, um, definitely. And, and, and you, when you compare it to someone uh, so like the opposite end of the spectrum, like Ric Flair, who lives his life and usually in, uh, in bankruptcy, uh, it's usually not the exact same thing. But, right, <laughs> um, right, right. But your dad, your dad, uh, I did want to talk about when I when I first met him, uh, I was 16 and I went to the woodlands with my grandfather who, you know, started me down the path of like, I guess, gambling that maybe should or shouldn't have done when I was 16 when that and that opened up. But uh, uh-huh. when I went there, uh, of course, it was amazing because I was like, um, you know, here's Bob Geigel, here's uh, Bulldog Bob Brown, Rufus R. Jones, Mike George. Like, I mean, it was like, and they were all huge and everyone knew them. And it was like, they were basically, um, you know, ambassadors of the city there, but they also worked. And uh, what what was that like when he transitioned into uh, later in life, which he was there for decades to go over to the woodlands and just stay there until basically he was gone? Yeah. Um, Well, he, I think he enjoyed the woodlands because he still had he liked the notoriety. He liked people. And when people would come up, no matter who it was, no matter if he'd ever seen him before, yeah, he would always say, yeah, I remember you. I met you. And he'd shake their hand and he'd treat them just like they were his best friend next door. Um, and that's one he, he enjoyed doing that. He was still out in front of people and he enjoyed people remembering him positively. Oh yeah, I mean, so. it, it was a, it was like a it was a line, especially when that place first opened. It was a line oh, of yeah. people trying to see him. I mean, it was like such yeah. a cool thing in Kansas City to have that there. Anyway, when that tr- wood when the woodlands opened, it was awesome. But yeah. um, he he did take it very seriously, though. I mean, if there was a problem going on, he'd have that person and he he would escort them very quickly out the door if it needed to be done. And I heard stories about how it was done every once in a while. So. <laughs> Uh, I mean, I can only imagine that staff. I mean, you know, if there's someone causing a problem, first of all, you're an idiot. Second of all, like you're going to be taken care of quickly, I believe. You are. Um, Yeah. He he basically so for those not in Kansas City the woodlands because I did a documentary on the woodlands too because as of only uh-huh. like ten years ago there were still a lot of people trying to get that place reopened you know and basically mm-hmm. now it's been torn down and it's sad but you know the the river gambling boats came into town and sort of hurt that tremendously and you could there's a whole political thing about that but your dad though even though this place had not been open for I don't know twenty years thirty years I don't know, it was twenty years at least I'd say um, he was still there in that shit in that like guard little shack outside and until i mean basically he was almost 90 right i mean when did he actually stop going there well he um 
that was really what led to when he passed away. He was working a midnight shift. It was it was twelve hour shift or something at night, and um, he fell down and broke his hip. Huh. And when he and he was at work at the Woodlands at the time, and it was a it was a little guard shack that they were in, and he would go out and do his rounds and then come back. Um, he fell down, broke his hip, ended up in the hospital to get that repaired, and never really never really got better after that and you know he he died when he was 90 that was probably when he was 88 or so he might have been 89 because it was close he didn't live much longer than after that it was about six months after he broke his hip that he passed away I mean, amazing that he was still going to work at that time. I mean, I think it probably just gave him, obviously, purpose, which as I get older, I understand the thought of that. Right. But, um, yeah. I think some of the Kansas City, Kansas Police Department, sometimes when they would see him driving, he drove really slow (laughs) when he got older, which, you know, is kind of surprising, but it was in his pickup. (laughs) And if a policeman's following him, he's he's going even slower, or he... (laughs) stop right in the middle of the road and people would go, Oh dad, you can't just stop in the middle of the road. So he probably shouldn't have been driving that long as it was, but you, you could never tell him, no, you can't do something. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And <laughs> that topic in general is a very hard topic to, to broach with any oh. family member, but I can only imagine a guy that drove so many miles in his life. Yeah. It was, it was a difficult time. Uh, when uh, I want to talk about some more personalities, like uh, Bulldog Bob Brown is also synonymous with Kansas City, even though he's not from yeah. here, but around this area at all, he's a Canadian. But he was uh, a tag partner with your dad, and yeah. he was known as quite the character. Um, do you have any good stories about him? Quite the character. He used to come over for Thanksgiving dinner every year, and he never liked anything that was made in front of there might have been one or two things i can't remember what they are (laughs) but he would sit there and complain about everything he might have liked the the rolls or the biscuits but everything else he just kind of turned his nose up at and said nope i don't like that i don't (laughs) like it and he was he was the most obnoxious guy you've ever met but we loved him to pieces he was a great guy he'd do anything for you he you know, he was like a brother almost but what a character was that partially was that a was that partially a character or was that really him doing that with the uh, the knocking your your parents food uh, to me I, it was really him <laughs> <laughs> maybe he was I, I i never got to meet him really he and i used to spar back and forth but when he passed away it was it was one of the saddest things in the family um his I remember his mom always made dill pickles and there would be a huge jar, like a gallon jar of dill pickles that he would bring us. And we had pickles in the refrigerator all the time from Bob Brown's mom. Oh, that's funny. He he was a great guy. Um, What about uh, Rufus R. Jones, uh, another guy that is super tied to Kansas City, as were a lot of these territory guys, but he stayed here a long time and he is also, uh, you know, everyone knows his personality as well. Yeah, Dad had a lot of respect for Rufus, um, and they were good friends. I know Rufus and his wife had a a restaurant, and it was, I'm thinking down off Truman Road or somewhere, because it seemed like we drove a long way to get there and had chitlins and I can't even tell you all the food, but my dad loved the food at Rufus's restaurant. 
and and he was a he was a great guy. Yeah, he uh, both those guys lost very early, really relative yes. age. Um, but right. I never got to meet him either. But uh, he was, uh, you know, I've I've heard many stories. In fact, one of the guys that uh, does uh, worked with me was looking into buying his house. Like just oh, a few really? years ago, yeah, because I think his daughters still live there. But uh, oh, really? Yeah, yeah. So you know, I never, I knew his, I met his wife at the restaurant, but I never knew his kids. Yeah, yeah. No, I, it's, uh, I, they stayed part of the community here, definitely. Oh, that's great. You, you mentioned his restaurant, but I got to mention your dad's, uh, your dad's bar, the Tender Trap. I had heard about Tender this. Trap. And how was, yep. how, where was that located exactly? Three West Twelfth. Okay. So it was on 12th Street, and um, he had that for, well, my sister always says that that's what sent us to college. That's what paid for our college was the tender <laughs> trap. But I spent my 21st birthday there. I went there for my 21st birthday, um, and it was it was just a fun place to go. It was dark. It had a jukebox, of course. Um, he made money on the jukebox um, on on Christmas Eve, he always was the bartender. He would let the bartenders have Christmas Eve off. And he would always go there, and we were always waiting at home for Dad to come home so we could open presents on Christmas Eve. But he, if somebody ordered some foo-foo drink and he didn't know how to make it, he would, he would give them a beer. <laughs> and if they complained, it didn't matter. That's what they got because he didn't know how to make some of these things. And they got their beer. But uh, it was, it was a fun place. There were roaches in it sometimes, and on Sundays he would go in and he would spray the roaches. Probably with stuff you're not supposed to use now to spray the roaches. <laughs> yeah, of course. But he would spray them. But the one thing I got from the tender trap, we always had the the beer signs. You know, the beer guys would bring in the beer signs, sure. and there were signs all over. But when he when the tender trap closed. Up in the attic, there were a bunch of old um, beer signs, and I got a Heineken one, and it's still here in my house today. Oh, cool. And I, it's, it's precious because it's something that I got from the Tinder Trap. Oh, yeah. No, definitely. I, I'm, I'm very nostalgic about all that stuff, so that was yeah. that would be really cool to keep something like yeah. that. Yeah. Wow. Uh, how, I guess I, just as his daughter, though, how, how was uh, Bob as a, as a father? He seems like he'd, he, I, you know, I met him later in life and I, it seems like everyone seems very nice at that, you know, when they're in their, I don't know, 70s plus, like they always seem like sweet people, but he just seemed like a great guy. He did. I don't remember ever getting spanked. My sister said she got spanked, but I never, I didn't ever get spanked. Um, I remember one time we, he had, we had a farm out in Umbarger. Texas, um, and because he was a farmer all of his life in in around Algona, Iowa, and so we bought he bought they bought some land um, in Umberger, Texas, and it was right next to Dory Funk's Flying Mare Ranch. Oh wow! And um, we would go out there, and and I remember the the windmill, and Dad always had to get up on the windmill to make it work, and then his back would hurt after that. But there was one time that we were walking across the the whole farm from some fence he was building and I couldn't walk it. I was just too little to walk this thing. And so he put me up on his shoulders and I remember walking all the way across the farm with my hands around his head and he carried me across the farm. It was, it was good memories. I mean, that's the kind of thing you remember. He always had my sisters. Well, he never had me do this, 
test to see if the electric fence was turned on. <laughs> <laughs> and they would touch it. Ah, you made me touch that. But. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I remember those days. I had some farmer friends, too. And, it was, yeah, they'd be like, as boys, they'd be like, why don't you, you know, try to go to the bathroom on that and see what happens? And that would always lead to real problems. Well, we didn't ever have to worry about that. We were all girls. So yeah. But, I have a feeling he um, may have done that. He was a great dad. He was a great dad. We used to have headbutt contests. It's not where you hit your head, but you put your heads to your foreheads together, and you'd see who could push the other one far. And and you know he always <laughs> let me sometimes win, or he wanted me to punch him in the stomach to see if it would hurt, and he'd pretend that he didn't feel anything. <laughs> and of course, he probably didn't. Um, and I'd do the, I'd give him a bear hug and squeeze him, and he'd squeal like it was hurting, but it wasn't hurting. He, he, uh, I think I remember about your dad, even when he was in his 80s or so, he mm-hmm. had really big hands. Like his hands were like, I mean, you know, everybody talks about Andre the Giant's hands because the guy had, he was a giant, but your dad had those big, like probably farmer hands. And that yeah. a lot of yeah. people like myself, I don't have, I don't have those because I don't have like quite the uh, work, I, you know, that he had to do. But, <laughs> um, but he, he was just a, he was just a big guy. He had like yeah. big features. I mean, when you saw him, he was, uh, he was a, you know, he was a mountain of a man, really. He was in great shape, yeah. too. Yep, yep, he was. Uh, you know, I never knew him when he had hair. Really? His head was always bald. Oh, wow. So that's one thing. When, when he got older and he was in the nursing home and his hair was growing, I was just like, wow, I, I didn't know you had hair. <laughs> it, well, it's also, let's, it also, it's sort of like what I think about in, with like Steve Martin and people like that. Like if you don't have hair that long, you never really age. You know, you look like this, yeah. you look like the same age for like 40 yep. years. Yeah. Yep. He, he did. He did. Yeah. And he was, he was always so strong. Even when he would, it, he got difficult when he got older and he was in the, the nursing home and the rehab place. And I would always say to the guys, the women or men that were there helping him, you know, um, get out of bed or something, I'd say, you know, be careful because he's, he's really strong. And if he didn't like something, he would let them know. He'd grab their arm and say, don't touch me. Don't lift me up. If something was hurting him, he, he was always real strong. And the, and the guys would always say, yeah, we know he's strong. Oh, yeah. I can only imagine trying to be involved in that. If he didn't want to do something, I'm sure he wasn't going to let you do it easily or oh, at all. No. Oh, no. Right. Man. Right. So, <laughs> would you, uh, when did you move away from Kansas City? Um, 1993. Okay. Okay. So, so I, I assume at that point, you know, when I talked to your dad, so I, I wanted to tell you, when I, when I went to their house to interview him for that documentary, <laughs> um, I, I forget who, I, I forget who hooked me up with that actually, but uh, I got to go to his house and uh, Rob Schamberger and I were talking about when mm-hmm. you go there, your dad is very proud of his basement or like the downstairs <laughs> where he had all those pictures on the wall, you know, yeah, yeah. he had all these autographed pictures and I was, uh, I was honored to be able to go in there and he was very, uh, it was cool for, to take the tour with your dad of like all his memories and stuff like that on his wall. Um, yeah. Was, he was very proud of the wall. Oh yeah, yeah. So mm-hmm. what is that the house you grew up in? Yes. 
Cause like, yeah. it, let me tell you something. When I went in there and I saw like their house, it remi- my grandparents have lived and my grandma's still alive and she lives in the same house that they have lived in for 60 years. And yep. it reminded me so much of Bob Geigel's house reminded me of my grandparents' house because he, you can tell, um, you know, going back to like, not some crazy, uh, crazy spending guy, even though here he is the NWA president and a promoter and wrestler. He's not some guy that's going to go buy some mansion somewhere and go broke. He had this house probably for decades and, and him and your, and your mother Vera were like, uh, they were together for so long. Like I I read, was it 65 years? Um, at least that I remember having the party. Well, you know, we had a memorial, uh, not a memorial. We had a, um, a celebration for their 60th, I think. I think it was, no, it was even more than that. Wow. But, and we sent out, we sent out for people who couldn't come, people he went, they went to college with, um, people who like Joe Scarpello and, and his wife, um, and people that he played football with in college. We sent out invitations to it, but if they couldn't come, we said, please send back a, um, just uh, congratulations to Bob and Vera for their for their anniversary. Sure. And got back the nicest things from the friends that they had had for all their lives. You know, um, I know we moved to Kansas City in 1965, so they lived there in '65 until he passed away in 2014. So that was their house, and then Mom, we we kept the house until Mom passed away in 2018. And that's when we, we cleaned it out. And, oh, my gosh, it was so hard for my sisters and I to do that. Oh, yeah. Because there was, what do you throw away from a, a lifetime of that many years? It, it, was, it was hard to do. Oh, I mean, I mean, that's something that no one looks forward to having to do, period. But like your dad had so much uh, historical stuff, um, you know, and you could tell he kept a lot of things from that era. And um, yeah, yeah, I mean, he was he was very proud of that stuff. And it was it was really cool to go there. And and I met your mom and she seemed like a a great lady and uh, like a great compliment to him. She put up with a lot. She put up with a lot from my dad. (laughs) Yeah, I was going to say, like, what was it? What was your mom's life like? Because I'm sure he was gone, you know considerable amount of time just based on the, uh, the, the, the kind of work it was. So, I mean, right, she probably right. was raising the, the kids a lot of the time. Yep, she was. Um, her outlet, she would play bridge once a week with the bridge ladies okay. in the bridge club. And there, you could not stop her from going to her bridge club. That was, <laughs> <laughs> she loved that. But she, she would come to all the high school things, all the grade school things. And and go to the basketball games from the high school. And she was, she was a big sports fan. She loved the Kansas city chiefs. I mean, um, both mom and dad were very big sports fans for things. And she followed him in, in college when he was playing football at Iowa. And, um, so she, she was a wonderful mother to have. And, and really, I never got spanked <laughs> well, by either just, one of them. <laughs> were they? Ju- were you just a good girl, or were they just not? They were, they weren't disciplinarians at all. Um, <laughs> they were disciplinarians, but it, they just raised us so that we didn't do bad things. Yeah. I I didn't do bad things in high school, and um, I think my sister drank some beer every once in a while. We did have a a keg. Uh, a refrigerator tapper downstairs in the den where you probably saw when you were down there and it was there we we never 
went and drank beer. I got to drink the foam off of his beer because you used to have foam on the top of a glass of beer. Sure. And and he let me have the foam, but <laughs> we we never wanted to do that. We would we'd have some swimming parties. Dad always had fun swimming parties. That's one thing that he did. I remember a time that. Um, Lord Alfred Hayes was there for oh, the man. party. Oh, yeah. Pat O'Connor, um, Omar Atlas and his family. Um, Bill Kirsten usually came for things. Um, I think, gosh, who else? I, I don't remember Tom Andrews being there at the time yet. Richard Moody, the referee, yes. he would be there every once in a while. I, his family and ours were pretty close. Um, he lived down in Grandview, so we had to go pretty far to see him. Harley Race would come, but um, it was always fun having the dad having the parties. Probably drove the neighbors crazy, but. <laughs> oh, sure. I'm sure. Like, uh, you know, I, he, he, this is back when they were, you know, he, he, they were living modestly. You know, they're not, oh, yeah. it's not like you hear of these people today. You were just part of the community right. like a normal person. Right, right, right. I don't think I ever heard this, but I know he was a football star at Iowa. So did he have an injury that made him go into pro wrestling, or did he decide that he did? there's just a better business decision? Why didn't he pursue football more? Well, he was offered, I think he always told me, $5,000 a year or 4000 to play. I thought it was the Chicago Bears yeah. at the time. That's what I'm remembering. It was the Chicago Bears, and they offered him $5,000 to play there but there was a man named Babe Bizignano I it was his restaurant in Des Moines was called Babe's okay and it was there for years and years after that and Babe told him you'll make more money if you get into wrestling I don't know what Babe's connection with wrestling was at the time but um he kind of got dad into wrestling and and said you can make more more money doing that so you know dad was pretty easy going he he was a farm boy. He, if somebody told him he could make more money doing something, he would do it, and he did. So that's how he got into it. He's from, as far as I remember. No, that sounds right. I saw that he was trained by a guy named Alphonse Bizignano. So yeah, that must yeah. have been Babe. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That that's one of those situations where if he came, if he was as you know, because such a big imposing guy, if he would have come around now, of course he'd be making millions in the NFL. But yeah. back then, it, they, the NFL was like a part-time job. So that was that was just a sign of the times, I guess. You know, we have pictures. You probably saw a couple on the wall downstairs. But if you saw the helmets that they wore at the time, I, I am not surprised that somebody like him and Vern Gagne, who who also had some dementia issues oh, yeah. that I'm not surprised that it wasn't from their football injuries that they, they got in college. Dad played um, offense and defense. He wow. played the full 60 minutes of the game. <laughs> and so he, they, they had to have had head injuries at the time. Oh my gosh. So. Yeah. I saw. So he would sign, he signed several eight by tens for me through the years. And one, most of them was the uh, one where he, it was just sort of like from his, I don't know, his waist up and he was uh, black tights, shirt off and he had a smile and that was his normal one. But I saw the ones yeah. that he would also sign where he would have uh, in his sort of a three point stance at, at Iowa. Uh -huh. And he was wearing that helmet you're talking about. And yeah, yeah. they were basically like a, a leather cap. That's his. Oh, it was. It, it was. Yeah. And, and, so, and he always told my husband, you're never going to find a nice football player. They might look like they're nice when they're out and about, but when they're playing football, they're all mean and they're all trying to do the same thing, you know, yeah. get that football. And, and he's, 
there was one time he played, I think it was against Boston College when he was in college at the University of Iowa. And they were in Boston, they played, and it was about two or three minutes into the game. And the coach said, Geigel, why aren't you in there? Get in there. And dad said, I can't. They kicked me out of the game. I hit a guy. <laughs> so <laughs> I guess he punched him because he, I don't know what it was, but the coach wasn't happy with him. <laughs> That's funny. Well, he's, uh, yeah, he seemed like a very mild mannered guy. So it had to have been pretty bad. Yeah. Um, so I guess uh, any other any other guys that came through Kansas City as wrestlers that we haven't touched on, or any other memories of the wrestling scene growing up that you think would be fun to hear about? Well, we were real. Dad was really close with Dory Funk Sr., and I think they met each other at Cal Farley's Boys Ranch because Dory worked there before um, Dad went down there and worked, um, and. So we were very close with Dunk and Terry. Dunk is Dory Funk Jr. Okay. Um, and we were very close with Dunk and Terry. And we went out and stayed all night with Dorothy, Dory's first wife, um, and uh, the girls, my mom and my three two sisters. And I would go out and stay all night with Dorothy. Um, she had a pen for a while. She had a pet skunk that she had had depewed. She called him Peppy LaPew. Of course. But we, I had a swimming pool, and and that's where we learned to swim, was out there at the Flying Mare Ranch. And my sister and I, last fall, we went to we drove to Amarillo, and we saw Terry Funk. Went and saw him. He's in a memory care unit there. Um, he was he had not changed. Looks wise, he's older, of course, but he had not changed a bit. He still had the stories to tell, and and we took pictures and showed him, and he remembered everybody that we showed him. He was very fond of Dad, but um, and we also went and saw Dory Funk Jr. Dunk when he won some award at Cauliflower Alley about five years ago or so. I can't remember which award it was, but all all three of our da- of the daughters, Sue, Mike, and I went out to see Dunk when he won that award in Las Vegas. So we were really close with them and 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 that those they were good friends. Oh and then Tom Andrews Tom Andrews of course was a good friend. He and Dad were they went to every year the VF the VF the Veterans Hospital, VFW well, not VFW, the but VA. the Veterans Hospital the VA, VA yeah. in Kansas City. They would go there because every Valentine's Day a lot of Kansas City sports figures would go to the VA and meet with the veterans there. So dad was always there and um, Tom Andrews would go and Frank White. That's where dad met Frank White. And Frank remembered dad. I went to a, a Royals preseason, pre, preseason, spring training game sure. um, once in in Arizona, I think it was. I think it was Arizona. It was a long time ago, and I said, "Mr. White, I'm Bob Geigel's daughter," and he said, "Oh, I know Bob. I used to go to the VA with him." So that's the kind of Bill Grigsby. His daughter was in my high school class, and since it was Grigsby Geigel, we always shared lockers when we were in junior high. So Ann Grigsby and I were were friends because we were locker mates. But that's how I knew Bill Grigsby and, and his daughter. 
Well, Bill, Bill Grigsby, of course, uh, he's he's passed on, but that guy, yeah. he had yeah. a story for everything. He was like the oh, life yeah. of the party. Um, you know, he when I interviewed him for that documentary, he had some great memories of um, just, you know, because he went into it like a lot of guys did back then, sort of like he was an announcer and he wasn't like a super wrestling fan or anything, but he did it because he was a professional broadcaster. Was, so he got involved. Yeah, it was a job. Yeah. And so he got involved and he was super, uh, him describing just the scenes like on that show where he talks about the sheik <laughs> running down the street. I mean, he's telling this as if he's not part of the show. He's a fan watching it happen, you know, and it's, uh, it's, it was, uh, I mean, I'm sure your dad and him uh, had some chuckles together. I'm sure they did. Yep. And they, when streaking was going on, dad had to have something with the streaking because that's what was going on at the time. Of course. So I, I think he told the story in, in, Casey on the mat, I'm not sure, but he had the streaker go, and Kirsten said, uh, I it, I wish I could tell the story. Kirsten tells it better than I do. But, um, <laughs> yeah, well, he was, he, a, he was known for as a great storyteller because he would always add in, you know, he's such a great uh, ad-libber with uh, yep. just the, the environment and showing the, setting the scene, I should say, and talking about it. And he did, yeah. Yep. When, I, when I did that, just, just to tell you, when... Um, I had moved, I had worked for WWF and I had moved back home to Kansas City and started working for that Metro Sports. It was called at the time. That cable station mm-hmm. was all sports. And, um, you know, I had, I had had to sort of restart after um, Stephanie McMahon let me go. And so when I came back here, I was a sort of an intern, worked part time. And then it got to the point to where uh, I was producing a lot of shows with that, sh- that channel. And I, mm-hmm. I specifically was like, I really want to do a documentary on all the people still living here. Because at the time, you know, wrestling years are harder than normal years anyway. And uh, they were all getting older. And I really wanted to honor and, you know, in tribute in any way the, these guys that were such a huge part of a lot of our childhood. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, when I look at that now, which is, you know, 13 years later, 14 years later, I mean, everyone on that show now is pretty much gone. Uh, Bill, uh-huh. Billy Howard is still here. I, I talk to him occasionally. Mike, uh-huh. Mike George still works at a casino. He's still, does he, he? he does. He's still security guard. Um, is he at Riverside? He's at 7th Street Casino in Kansas City, oh. Kansas. Oh, okay. And okay. Uh, and he still he still you know gets up and at him at it, and uh, I think that's cool. But uh, you know, I was happy to be able to do that, and I was so happy to get to know your your dad and that because mm-hmm. he was such a really great guy, and I loved uh, being around him. And you know, you, you seem like a great guy yourself, so I'm sure it was basically because of your parents. Yeah, I I should have um, I should come interview you because you probably heard a lot of stories that I'd like to hear. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think like you, uh, I probably can't tell some of them because uh, <laughs> they're the the greatest stories are never really told on on camera or a radio or anywhere. But uh, well, there were a few words that you let go on on Casey on the mat that I'm surprised, but it was my dad. He always says those words. So. Yeah, well, maybe they just maybe it didn't even resonate with me because I use those words too, and it's just like saying you know a normal word. So I, um, yeah, I, I couldn't believe that you know, especially my boss at the time, I was sort of shocked that he did let some of the things fly. But you know, uh, the the people there now would not. So I'm glad I got it in <laughs> under the wire. So my mom would always say, "Bob, quit swearing in front of the children." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I haven't really been yelled at much by my wife yet, but I really try to temper that stuff bad. So, 
Um, yeah. But he yeah. was he was a character, and I enjoyed it. And uh, I really appreciate you taking time to talk. We've never met, but I'm really thankful that uh, Rob hooked me up with you, and I'm I'm glad that you gave me so many great memories of your dad. Oh, thank you. I appreciate it. It's the worst territory. All right, welcome back to the worst territory in the world. Fantastic interview, Goff, with uh, Shots Duncan. Man, I again, I just love hearing the stories from the people on the peripheral. It's so awesome. Yeah, she was uh, awesome enough, like you, like you heard there, to take time out. She lives in Atlanta now, and uh, she has lived in Atlanta for you know thirty plus years. So she is uh, definitely. Um, has a lot of ties to Kansas city. As she, as she talked about, she grew up next to the funk farm and she got to know all the funks, Dory senior and junior and Terry and, um, and, you know, just coming to Kansas city for 30 to 40 years of her life. And then moving on to Atlanta, she used to work for TWA as she's talked about, which TWA used to be a hub here in Kansas city before yeah. I got bought by Delta. But anyway, uh, she was awesome. And I really appreciate her taking out of time to take it, talk about her dad because her dad, uh, was will always be him and Harley Race will always be so synonymous in Kansas City and really Bob more so because not only did he promote and be a star here as a wrestler but he worked at the Woodlands for I mean years and years until his death which um, you know everyone knew that's Bob crazy. Geigel. that's crazy just so much I, that's what I love about doing this podcast is is just learning so much about a territory I had no idea about that you know has such a rich history. So we've come to the final segment of this show, Chris, before I let you get on your on your plane off to New Orleans. Oh, yeah. Um, I figured we would do – I usually I give you your menu and you select. But today, not so much. We're going to do one category and one category only, and that is the St. Paddy's Day Brawl. <laughs> so what I want you to do is, you know, uh, St. Paddy's Day is coming up. You're wearing your kilt. Which I, I wanted to ask you how much you spent on your kilt, but I'm not going. Very to. cheap, very cheap, <laughs> very cheap. Um, but you know, uh, the alcohol is flowing. The um, the the uh, the temperature rises in the room, and tempers start to flare. So mm-hmm. when that happens, we usually get a good old fashioned barroom brawl, right? Sure. So in your educated opinion, out of all the. Uh, maybe backstage brawls and or parking lot brawls. What was your favorite wrestling brawl? So you're talking shoot or work? (laughs) Oh, I didn't expect you to throw that one at me. Let's go ahead and go work. Okay. Because the shoot would probably be... um... There's so many. Uh, Paul Orndorff knocking out Vader with his uh, slick, like you know, the shower, shower shoes. shoes. Yes, I love that shower which, shoes. Uh, <laughs> yes, which apparently, and I'm laughing because it's kind of crazy. It, it, that ruined Vader's confidence in it himself did. and in everything that he did. He would talk about it years and years and years sure. later about how he wanted that brawl back. And the other brawl that I talked to that I've heard about is that when Haku told me the story about how he uh, bit the nose off this guy in a bar that said wrestling was fake and he wouldn't shut up about it and finally had to put an end to it. And then he got, then they left and then he got an arrest warrant out for him. And uh, the next time he went back to Baltimore, he was, uh, 
he they skirted the law but uh he, he actually he actually did get caught finally and he had to pay a lawyer a lot of money which he said he will never bite anyone's nose off again after that but uh but he was really careful not to get in trouble after he did that to that guy but you know fa- frankly if you say that to a pro wrestler and you get your nose bitten off you sort of deserved it you're probably being a huge jerk anyway inside uh brawls inside Man, there's so many. I mean, uh, you know, it is a standard now in indie wrestling, thanks to mainly ECW, but other things where people just brawl outside through the crowd and stuff. Of course, we yeah. had plenty of those in Metro Pro and everything. Yeah. Um, I always love back in the Attitude Era. I always loved the brawls at the uh, Tim White's uh, bar in Providence, Rhode Island. Uh, the Friendly <laughs> yeah. Tap. Uh, yeah. I enjoyed. Uh, I was actually on uh, location for one of those once, and uh, they were pretty damn hilarious because, like yeah. Tim White, would it, the joke was. Was anytime Tim had like a malfunctioning arcade game or a pinball machine or something in the uh, in the bar that he needed replaced, like a cooler or something, he would always say, "Hey, come on and have a how about a brawl at my place?" So like people could destroy it and he could turn <laughs> it in uh, for a loss. Uh, basically, WWE would pay him for a new one and uh, just for the prop <laughs> usage. And uh, I always love those at the APA, uh, just beating yeah. up everybody in the friendly tap. Uh, did you have one of mine? You know, the first thing that came to my mind was Roddy Piper and Goldust. Oh, the uh, through the streets of uh, L.A. Yeah. I remember watching that. And again, I was kind of, quote unquote, smart to the business. A yeah. lot of those rounds that they were, I remember watching and going, this is like he, he, he broke his shoot. He broke his hand, right? I mean, yeah. he broke... Uh, Roddy Piper broke he broke something he broke his fingers hand wrist something uh, actually in that fight yeah which screwed up like uh, because they had they had taped I heard Bruce tell that story they taped the first part where they're driving the car and he jumps on the hood and all that stuff they had taped all that uh, previous like right. a couple days before and that's when he actually hurt himself so actually for the actual match that they had to act like because remember it was it was hilarious looking back on it like, it's just such a snapshot of time where they're they're acting like it's like the oj simpson <laughs> yeah chase, you yeah, know? yeah because yeah, they yeah. you know the story was they were trying to get oj simpson to come to wrestlemania for an yep. amount of money yep. and like obviously that didn't play out but uh they had uh piper and gold dust do it and um and so he had to sort of hide the fact that he had broken a bone uh, when they went from the yeah. taped version straight into the arena. But yeah, yeah that was that was a classic. That was a it classic. was, and I remember, and it really shed a new light on Goldust. And by the way, if they would have gotten OJ Simpson to appear at WrestleMania, he would have killed it. That was sort of bad. This is almost too soon, even though it's been you know thirty five years. Hey, hey. But uh, killed it. <laughs> oh man. Well, you know, I'm I'm never uh, above uh, any kind of OJ Simpson humor. Believe me, I he is uh, an amazing man on social media these days. So Dude, um, it is one of the best outside of Michael Elgin, one of the best follows ever. Uh, or don't don't uh, downplay Instagram Britney Spears because oh dude uh, instagram britney spears is if you want to instagram britney spears if you want to see a person slowly going crazy every day of her life until she's finally something really bad is gonna happen i don't know what but uh uh it is weird to watch yeah. britney spears now, <laughs> yeah, now she's in is. good shape uh you know i'm not i'm not watching this for uh pure like any kind Titillation. of uh, yeah i'm not i'm not it's, it's really uh you know ace steel and myself uh, do enjoy some Britney Spears songs. I, I'm not above saying that. So when we were in Vegas, he wears a Britney like, Spears shirt sometimes. He does. He does wear that Britney Spears shirt. Very manly of him to do that. I mean, <laughs> any guy that can wear a shirt like that 
is has to be tough because you have to be prepared to get your ass kicked. I was gonna say, by the way, Ace, this is Chris Goff saying this, not me. I love you. I love your Ace Steel shirt. Are so, but me shirt? and him always talk about how pissed off we are that we did not see Britney Spears when she had her residency at Planet Hollywood in Vegas because oh, yeah. apparently it was against her will and her father was making her do it to, to you know to make some more money uh, when she was still under his control. So uh, we'll never be able to do that now because she's a complete train wreck and it'll never happen again. So, you know, we will lament those old days and those bad decisions. But yes, there's several people and they're the people to follow on, on social media. Yeah. So yeah, I, I, that's why I, I I think it's so fun. I, I did love the APA brawls. Oh my god! Every time they set up, and it was just like like I knew you knew something was going to happen, and you knew somebody would. I mean, it, it was those were just so much fun. But you know, like I the other one that came to mind real quick was uh, Fit Finley versus uh, Stephen Regal in the parking lot at Nitro. Oh God! Well, what uh, is that? The one that he got hurt? Yes. Okay, man, yeah. they had some crazy hardcore matches then. Remember the circle of cars and like that's the uh, one I'm talking about. Okay, yes that that one was like that that hurt many people's careers. Didn't it felt like there was multiple injuries in that. Uh, and maybe I'm thinking, maybe I'm getting two matches sort of convoluted there. But I remember when that when those matches were happening and these people were getting legit like horrible injuries. Oh, yeah. you know, it was. You're right. You're right. I, I, I want to say that the one I'm thinking of also had the nasty boys involved in some in some way. But mm. that might have been another yeah. hardcore. Uh, you know, they had a a lot of different versions of hardcore matches outside there. But um, Max Payne was- versus Max Payne and Cactus Jack versus the Nasty Boys is one of the matches I think of with Spring Stampede and how brutal that was and the nasty boys were weren't technically good workers but boy they could throw <laughs> i always loved uh these aren't really brawls but uh i always loved the on location stuff because uh, at metro pro we did a match where it was in false count anywhere so we had them take it outside and uh they mm. they had a, a fall outside on the on the uh, you know in the parking lot and uh so i always loved it when they did like you know the al snow fights when he was a hardcore guy and they would hit him and hard, mm. uh, hardcore holly went out to mm-hmm. the river you know and then uh also when crash holly was involved and they would go to like the fun time fun spot whatever that was where he went like down the slide and like you know kyoto yeah. was there like behind him or whatever sliding yeah. down yeah. Like, doing the yeah. counts in the ball pit i mean those things are always fun uh you know, I don't know. To me, uh, that's what a good, uh, like, fun brawl is. Like, when you start getting, like, ridiculous, like, the, the brawls that are just like we talk about, just where they go out into the crowd and just constantly just hit each other now, they're so passe and they're so overdone that they really have no effect on me. Now they have to have some kind of, like, added bonus, like going down into a ball pit. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, by the way, side note, Bob Hawley, one of the nicest guys I ever met Great in guy. NWL. Great guy. And my story, and one day I'll tell tell it on the podcast, him meeting Bones in St. Joe, Missouri is one of the funniest stories I ever had part of in the NWL. Well, you got to, you got to clarify who Bones is to people out there. Bones is a guy (laughs) who, um, I guess he, I don't think he's ever been taught how to be a professional wrestler. He has somehow, uh, done something in somewhere in his life where he now considers himself to be a professional wrestler but really is should not be anywhere near a ring and it's like ludicrous to anyone that books him or puts him in a match but he is he is your your sort of like your otis town drunk from like the uh andy griffith show He's that guy, but Kansas City's area guy like that, who just uh, let's say when I saw a match that he did 
that when we had people like booking stupid matches at the TPC, including himself, I would go over there and I would walk into the front door of the NWL Performance Center and there would be like 100 people sitting on uh, one couch. And I'm like, who are all these, you know, hayseeds? And it ended up being uh, Bones's family. So I was like, who's Bones? And Bones ends up being some guy that I thought was cleaning the toilets, but he was actually in the main event of a TPC show. So uh, there's my thought on Bones. Dude, Bob's reaction when he, he Bob thought I was being a dick and he was just like, why are you treating that? He's like, and then within like 10 minutes of Bones talking to him, I came over to Bob and Bob was like, had had enough. And it was classic. Anyways, I'll tell that story in another time. Um, thank you, Chris, for uh, the interview this week. Uh, we will be back next week with some more fun frivolity and everything in between talking about the best of the worst territory in the world. I'm Gabe. That's Chris. We'll see you next time right here. Bye-bye. It's the worst territory in the world.